Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Amar Grigic, and today with me is uh, David Allen. He is the author of uh, Getting Things Done and, uh, of course, the methodology behind that. Uh, so, David, welcome. I'm very delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. No problem. It's an honor to have you on. Uh, could you, uh, for, for starters, could you tell a little bit about uh, your background and also how you got to write uh, Getting Things Done? Sure. Well, if we go back many, many years, I started my own small little consulting practice after lots of different careers that I had. Um, and <clears throat> I you know, was always looking for what are some good models to use uh, if I run across somebody that I was consulting with in the, the business world and, and in my network, that it wasn't clear how to help them, but they know they needed help, be nice if, they, if I had something I could pull out of my back pocket as a tool to use to help sort of improve whatever their condition was and whatever their issue was. Um, mm -hmm. Combine that with my background in meditation and martial arts and other things that gave me uh, my own sort of attraction to clear space. How yeah. nice it was to have a clear, empty head so you could focus and be present on whatever you were doing. Uh, <clears throat> so as my life got more complex, I was interested in discovering models that I could use uh, for myself to keep myself straight and clear, you know, given the more complex world that I was beginning to create for myself. So I discovered piece by piece, little bits of uh, you know, what later on became sort of the, the essence of this methodology known now as GTD or shorthand for getting things done. Uh, but that was back in the night in the early 1980s. And I had some two or three mentors that taught me various pieces of this. And I'd begun to cobble it together just for myself. But then I, whatever I was discovering for myself that helped me stay clear and focused and stable and, you know, gave me more room to focus on the meaningful stuff in my life. Uh, turned around and shared those techniques with my clients, and it turned out it produced exactly the same results. No yeah. exception. You know, people implement this methodology, or even parts of it. It's going to create more of a sense of control and focus and stability and clarity. Yeah. So I said, "Well, that's pretty cool." And then a guy, you know, head of human resources in a big corporation, saw what I was doing, and he said, "Gee, David, we need that kind of result in our whole culture. Can you design something like a training or a you know training methodology that we could you know." do seminars and so forth instead of just reaching people one-on-one, -on -one, which is what I was doing. And so yeah. I designed a personal productivity training program. We did a pilot of that program. It was a two-day personal productivity, mostly for supervisors, managers, executives. And we did a pilot program for a thousand of those folks over a year's period of time, and it really worked. It was one of the most successful programs they had ever implemented. So I went, wow, you know, who knew? I found myself suddenly thrust into the corporate training world was something that uh, I was doing. Now, uh, you know, I, I have to tell you, quite frankly, I've never had a, any formal or traditional uh, education in psychology, business, or time management. This was all just from street, you know, just learning by doing and seeing what was going on and, you know, stuff that really worked for me. And so then I wound up over the next few years being thrust into just training hundreds of thousands of people actually in major corporations and small businesses and entrepreneurs and, and whatever I was doing, both public seminars as well as a lot of uh, uh, in-house seminars in, inside of companies. And my consulting really turned more into executive coaching where once I was in a, a, a company, some of the key people said, gee, I'd like to implement that personally. You know, can you help me out one-on-one? -on -one? And so, you know, I've done, I spent literally thousands of hours one-on-one -on -one with some of the smartest and brightest and busiest people you'd ever meet, actually implementing this methodology and refining it. And then it, you know, at some point after 20, 25 years of this, I, I, it took me that long to sort of figure it out, I mean, what I discovered and that nobody else seemed to have come up with it and that it was bulletproof. Yeah. So I got some really good coaching that the best thing to do at this point in my life was to write a book. So that's when the first edition of Getting Things Done, you know, it took me four years to, to really get it out the yeah. way I wanted it. Uh, and it showed up in 2001. But that was, you know, that wasn't just sort of a fly-by-night or off-the-cuff thing. That, that was really a, a compilation of 20, 25 years of my, you know, fairly deep uh, experience in terms of, you know, implementing this methodology with, you know, with every kind of person you can imagine at every level you can imagine. So that's why I had the trust. I, I, I'm not a ta-da kind of person. You know, I'm not 
going to just write something and hope it works. I really, <laughs> I really was, I was not going to put this in print because it really represented at least up to that time, my life's work. And it's yeah. kind of, daunt, kind of daunting. You mentioned before we started, you just read the new edition, but that, you know, it's it, Anybody picks that up. It, if you're not familiar with it at all, it might seem a bit daunting because I put in there a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really the whole game. Yeah, the, the the interesting part to me was uh, I, I've I've read the the first edition as well, but then uh, over the last week I was I was uh, looking at the second one and I was like, I, I forgot how many uh, how detailed it is in the in a sense of a kind of it's kind of a manual to to do this whole methodology uh, yeah. and that's uh, you mentioned that in your book as well where you said yeah while I was rewriting this I was not going to rewrite that because I I really wanted to, the people to know what it actually is right yeah. uh, and that's 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 so interesting to me so uh, I, what I wanted to uh, to ask you is um, you you've had these uh, all these kinds of different careers uh, as you mentioned uh, did that also help in uh, creating this whole methodology was it was it kind of the the instigator where you saw okay uh, I, I I've seen all these kind of different uh, areas and different uh, uh, different things that I've done in my in my life and uh, it it can be it, it, you can create something that works for all of them is, is that also the, some inspiration for that well uh, yeah for sure because you know one of the things i discovered is i discovered these techniques both for myself and then with my clients it also worked for their kids it worked for their spouse it worked for anybody anybody who's got a busy life that wanted to sort of surf more on top of it and have more clarity and you know be able to truly get things done you know a bit easier than they were doing before uh, it's really not about time you can't manage time time just is uh, but what you do is you manage your own focus during the time that you have. And I just, you know, this became pretty much early on, pretty obvious to me, this worked for anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, the first edition that I wrote was really targeted for the fast track professional uh, because they were the first people, they were first, first of all, the hungriest for this. They were the first group of people as a sort of, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a sort of defined group of people that were most um, aware of the need, uh, new need to, to surf on top of the tsunami of email and all the just stuff that was showing up in the, in the 90s, the mid to, to late 90s. And they were also the, the you know, people interested in, in their companies in paying for this and, and, and investing in stuff that was going to help people be able to get rid of their stress and, and you know, be more productive. So that was the world that, that I wound up, you know, spending a whole lot of my time in. But even when I wrote the first edition, you know, the, a lot of my examples and so forth were targeted for that group. Um, even then, I knew this worked for the clergy, it worked for physicians, it worked for anybody. And, you know, startups, it worked for, you know, uh, entry-level people, it worked for CEOs, it worked for anybody. And so that early on, that was obvious to me. This was universal. And so, you know, that, that, that certainly provided an undercurrent of motivation that this was good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, for the people that, that haven't read your books, um, uh, could you, uh, explain what, what GTD is for, for you? So from your perspective? Sure. Mostly, you know, it's a set of best practices that allow me to create more space and room in my head to focus on what I want to focus on and to be present with whatever I'm doing. Now, I couldn't have told you that, you know, back in, in, you know, 1982 or 83, when I began to sort of put all this together, but that's ultimately the end result of it. And, you know, it's really, when I say best practices, there are things, there are behaviors and techniques to apply that you're not born doing, but they're not hard to do. Actually, everybody listening to this right now actually does some version of all of these techniques. You write stuff down that's on your mind. You decide next actions, you know, that you need to take about things you need to do. You try to keep track of the outcomes and projects that you're committed to finish. You know, you need to step back and kind of have a bigger look at your world, you know, so you don't stay down in the weeds all the time. So you kind of have a sense of priorities and and focus, you know, and you engage, you do stuff you know, that you need to do that most yanks your chain and, and that you have attention on. So yeah. those are the, really the, the key elements of this. It's just very few people are doing what I just said consistently, currently, all the time. 
Yeah. Kind of, most people, most people do it when the pressure forces them to about exactly. any, any specific thing, but they, they haven't built in, you know, a habitual methodology to yeah. keep this, to keep clear all the time. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's been my problem <laughs> from a personal standpoint. Uh, I mean, uh, it 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 wasn't a big problem, uh, kind of in the beginning of my career, because then you don't have that much on your plate uh, at any time. Uh, but as you progress, you you kind of see that. Uh, keeping everything in your mind, which was what I was doing. Uh, I did have a calendar, of course, but uh, that that was pretty much it. Um, and uh, as you progress, you kind of you kind of see that just doing that isn't. You're you're forgetting things. You're forgetting things all the time. Like, oh, I I I know I said this and this. I would do this and this, and I didn't do it. Uh, and that 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 bugs people a lot, and bugs me as well. Where I I see like, okay. I, I forgot this thing that I really wanted to, to, to help somebody out with, for example, or whatever. Uh, yeah, and that, well, it, yeah, that's not only, you know, forgetting, um, you know, key things you yeah. want to remember, but it's also not having the space to be doing constantly creative thinking. Exactly. You know, yeah. About new stuff and interesting things you want to be thinking about. Yeah, so what, what, what I did uh, along the way was... Um, for example, if I look at my email, uh, I, I use the kind of inbox zero thing, uh, which uh, may or not may or may not be good. It works for me because I'm like, okay, everything that's in my inbox, I know that I need to do something with it. Uh, and usually uh, now it's also been like I'm, I'm training myself more to write things down, uh, like uh, like real tasks and stuff like that, to know that. These are things that I need to do at any given point in the week, for example. I don't plan ahead that much because if I plan ahead like a month or two months later, it's it's hard to keep track of that for some reason. Um, but there is something, I think, in GTD where you also mentioned that, right? Where you where you can plan for the the things that are maybe a month out or two months out or whatever. Well, you might need to do that if if you need to do that to get something off your mind. Sure. Yeah. So the yeah. whole the whole reason for any of this stuff, the whole you know, I'm not a naturally organized guy. You know, I like kind of like cool gear, but I that, you know that's not you know that's kind of fun to play with. You know, if you got a good organizer and good apps and so forth that kind of help you with all that, but. I, I'm not naturally organized. I'm naturally, uh, I naturally hate to waste my time and energy on anything. I hate to keep thinking about things that I'm not doing anything about. Yeah. I really love that sort of clear space idea. So the idea of, of being able to do as much as I need to do to get something off my mind. So if, for instance, you've got kids that you're going to send off to college in three years and you haven't yet planned for how you're going to pay for it and what they need to do, you probably better set some sort of a goal over the next year or two, things you'd say, hey, if that's going to happen, here's the two or three or four things I need to put into place. And you might need to come up with those in order to get kids in college off your mind. So it's not about saying don't plan. I'm just saying plan only as much as you need to have yeah. your head clear. And then be ready to change those plans, believe me, as, as life is going to change, you know, yeah. and it's going to change. That's the, you know, there's nothing new in the world except how frequently things are new. Yeah. And then the, the interesting thing is that sometimes I also have that, uh, I think everybody has a feeling like at like, uh, I don't know, 11 p.m. in the in the evening and you're like, oh, uh I need to I need to still do this or I still need to do this or whatever and that that kind of feeling uh, comes over you and uh, what I usually do is just write it down and it helps uh, sure. but uh, but it's it's the 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 tricky part here is that I I think and you mentioned that in the book as well is to actually capture all those things that are going on uh, well and, the problem uh, is if you only have part of it you don't trust any of it yeah exactly you know, you feel better for sure yeah. Yeah. But if, you, if you've got half the stuff out of your head and half the stuff in your head, you don't trust your head and you don't trust your system mm, because yeah, you, exactly. you don't trust either one is complete. So, you know, kind of the, the good and bad news is there's, a, there's really salvation at the, the light at the end of this tunnel is to get the totality of all of your commitments clarified and current and externalized in some trusted external brain so that your head is relieved of the pressure of remembering and reminding any of that and then your head is used for what it's good for, which is using your intuitive intelligence to scan the whole gestalt of all of that 
and decide those are the errands to run today. That's the stuff I want to talk to my life partner about. You know, time to take a nap. Let me put all of that other stuff to rest. Yeah. That's a power nap. You take a nap to avoid it. You know, they're not going to sleep as well. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, to to get to, uh, how do you how do you organize that for yourself? Because um, I think that that's maybe interesting insight into how uh, how you actually implement it for yourself. So you probably do it exactly the same way as you <clears throat> as you written it down. But uh, could could you tell a little bit about that? Sure. Well, one way to describe it is, 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 you know, I recognize the five stages we go through to get any situation more under control and focused. That's the five steps of capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. Uh, capture is the first step. That is, I need to grab something. As you see, you sit down to meditate or you sit down watching TV and suddenly go, oh, God, I, I need to make sure that I, whatever that is. So the first thing to do is to capture it. That is not just captured in your head. That's a, your head's a crappy office. <clears throat> it wasn't designed to remember or remind. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, if you're trying to keep track of more than four things in your head, you'll, you'll, you'll lose. That is, you won't be optimal in terms of your focus and you'll be driven by latest and loudest. So getting stuff out of your head into some sort of trusted temporary bucket, an in basket or write it down on a list or put it somewhere. In other words, get it out of your head. So that's step one. And absolutely, I do that. I've done that for, you know, 35 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it's ubiquitous. I carry around a little pocket note-taker wallet. I've got a physical in-basket. I don't, I use, mostly it's low-tech. You know, I've just got pen and paper, the fastest ways to capture stuff, because that's not my permanent system. That's a placeholder for stuff until I can go through steps two and three. Step two is once I've captured the stuff, I've written the note down, I've thrown the stuff into my entry or whatever, then I need to pick it up and decide what specifically does that mean to me? Is it something I'm committed to move on or not? We get a lot of things we're not committed to move on. Three things, actually. One is trash. You know, I, I, I don't need it. Or, or I, now that I've seen it, I don't need it. Uh, the other is reference material. You look at it and you go, hmm, nothing to do on that, but I want to keep it in case I need to refer to it later on. The third thing is you look at it and say, hmm, you know, that's something the, the Dutch orchestra is doing, you know, at, at the Concertgebouw, you know, in two months. I'm not sure if I can do it then, but I might want to rethink that in a month or so, see if we want to get tickets then. That's uh, something that, like what we call on, on hold or incubate. So there are a lot of things that come into our world that we either create, look at, think about, <clears throat> that then when you really think about it, you go, hmm, no, no, no action on that now. Yeah. But then there are a lot of things that show up that fall on the other side called, yes, there is stuff I need to do about it. We need cat food. Uh, I need to replace my printer. I need to hire a vice president of marketing. We need to look into whether or not we want to merge with this other company, you know, yada, yada, all that stuff. So once you've captured those thoughts, <clears throat> then little or big or personal, professional, doesn't matter, but get them all. Each one you need to then look at. And the ones that you say, yes, there is something I need to do about cat food or hiring a vice president then you need to clarify two things. One is, what's the next action on these? What's the next step? If you had nothing else to do but handle cat food, what would that be? Yeah. If you had nothing else to do but hire the vice president, what would that be? What, where would you go right now? What would you do? So that gets a very discreet decision about what, if you had nothing else to do in your life, what physical, visible activity would move the needle on this toward closure? So the next action thinking and decision is a very critical one to do in step two, which is clarifying those things you've captured that are actionable. And the second thing, question you need to clarify is if one action won't finish this, what's the end result? Now, probably getting cat food is not, you don't need to have a project about that. I would assume. <laughs> yeah. Unless you don't have a cat yet, you know, then you've got a project, but yeah. hire the vice president. Sure. That's going to be a project. <clears throat> so you need to then capture that as some outcome you're also committed to do. So the clarify step is, hey, is it actionable? Yes or no? If it's no, it's trash or it's reference material or it's on hold. If it is actionable, what's the very next action? And if one action won't finish it, what's the outcome I'm committed to complete? So that's the clarify step. Really, really critical step. Most people haven't trained themselves to do that thinking on the front end. Step three is then, okay, if you can't finish whatever it is you need to keep track of, or you, you don't want to just put your reference material in some amorphous pile, you then need to organize these things based upon what you just decided. Trash goes where trash goes. Reference material goes where you're keeping reference material. 
on hold goes onto some sort of a on hold or someday maybe or into your, a trigger for later review. And then actionable things, your next actions need to go somewhere on some sort of a list. Now, of course, you know, in between all this, there's the two minute rule. If you decide the next action you can finish in less than two minutes, you don't need to organize it. You just need to do it because yeah. it would take you longer to organize it and look at it again than to finish it while it's in your face. So that's a neat little kind of sidebar, you know, trick that has <laughs> a lot of executives say that's worth the whole price of admission. Just that <laughs> they didn't have that habit already. So a lot of things I may, I decide I don't organize. I just do them right when I see them. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> you know, if you can't do that, then you say, am I the right person to do this? So if there's somebody else that really ought to do that action instead of you, you need to delegate it. That's a delegatable item. And if it's uh, something that you can't do in two minutes, you can't hand it off to somebody else, then you need to keep track of it until you can get time to do it, you know, appropriately. And that's, you know, that's the third, uh, you know, thing you might do with an action is put it on a list. Here's an errand I need to run. Here's a call I need to make. Here's a conversation I need to have with my partner. Here's uh, something I need to draft on my computer. And those things, for me, just go on lists that just you know show up that way. But God, for errands, I look at my errands list. I yeah. need to sort of talk to my wife about business of life stuff and things we haven't handled already. I'll look at my list for her. So that's those just go on list, as well as all my projects also go on a list. So I can take a look at those very easily. So that's the step three is organize. Once I decided what these things are, they just go in the appropriate category. And then step four is to make sure I'm looking at those things, review and reflect on the contents. When going out for errands, I better look at my errands list. Otherwise, I get back and I go, oh, forgot I forgot it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, <clears throat> so the review and reflect process, and that can happen at multiple tiers. You could, be, you could be reviewing your life purpose. You could be reviewing your strategic plan. You could be reviewing just your your all the projects you have you know in play in, you know in motion out there. So there are multiple several different tiers of of things you need to review so you feel comfortable. And step five is then you engage. You, whatever you wherever you put your focus, your attention, or your activity now is based upon a you know if you've done the first four steps of capturing, clarifying, organizing, and reflecting, then you make a decision about taking a nap or sitting down and rewriting your business plan or whatever that's made from a trusted choice. Not a, I hope this is the right thing to do, Charles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what what's interesting to me is that uh, when I think about it, a lot of uh, a lot of there's a lot of similarities with how, uh, for example, uh, I work with a team for software development as well, where. Uh, when we start a project, a big project, for example, a new application, and we need to build the first version, uh, what we usually do is actually we sit down and we kind of start mapping stuff, right? Where we just put things on post-its and uh, put them up on a board. And we're like, okay, uh, you use the user stories thing where you say, okay, a user needs to be able to do login or a user needs to be doing this or that. Uh, and, and that's interesting because there there is also some kind of a form of capturing there where you're capturing everything that uh, a user should be able to do within the system later on. And then uh, starting to, to work from from top so you just say okay uh, you we need to have the 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 sign up function okay so what do you what do you as a user need to fill in during the sign up and you're going from a bigger part to a smaller part and a smaller part and then you start to of course plan it uh, later on but uh, that, that's that's interesting that there there are some similarities between those two, uh, where you also review you, especially if you do the kind of scrum thing, where you review, review your sprint every two weeks, for example. Uh, so it's interesting that there there is some similarities between those two. Uh, but what what I was uh, what I was also uh, thinking about is uh, when I was reading the book, you had one passage in there that said. That a lot of people think that getting things done is also that also means getting more done. <laughs> so uh, having more uh, things that you're uh, you're actually going to to do. Uh, could you speak a little bit about what you think about that? Uh, because th that's that's um, as you sa said in the book as well. It's it's kind of the 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 kicker. You you called it getting things done, and then people are th thinking like, okay, we need to get more done uh, after that. What do you think about that? Yeah, it actually, it turns out I'm going to be quite a, a common syndrome for people who really buy into the getting things done methodology. The yeah. first year or two, they get so excited because they can get more done. And they love the fact that they can throw new things in their in-basket and stuff is cranking out there because it, a lot of these techniques 
lower the barrier of entry for you to actually engage and produce. So it does make it easier to get more done. And so if you're enthused about getting more done, it's going to help you in spades do that. And then at a certain point, they go, well, wait a minute, I'm starting to burn out because I'm getting so much done. <laughs> I'm getting <laughs> too much done. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm getting so creative. There's so many things. Wait a minute, I'm not sure this is what it's really all about. And it's really not. I mean, it, it is in a way, if that's, the, if, that, if that's the time and space in your life and your situation where you do need to be able to get more done with less effort. But to a large degree, it's about just being present with whatever you're doing. And a lot of people speed up by slowing down. You know, it's, and you're, you, you know, there's a lot of work coming out now. And, you know, probably 10 books a week are written about, hey, you need to stop and rest. You need to sleep more. You need to, you know, your brain needs to rest. You need to make sure that you're, you know, not sitting, hunkering down and sweating too hard, you know, because yeah. you're going you're gonna to lose optimal, you know, focus and optimal cognitive capability. And so we know that now, and, and that's, that's been true. So yeah, it, is, it does tend to be a bit of a syndrome. And, it, and I've noticed some of the smartest and savviest people that you would ever meet you know, have gone through that syndrome where they get totally excited, at least early on as they're implementing GTD. Because yeah. it does make a huge difference in terms of being able to just, by the end of the day, you've cranked a whole lot more than you thought you could. Yeah. And that could be quite enthusiastic. You know, that could create quite a bit of enthusiasm for people to do that. At the yeah. same time, a lot of people have discovered what it does. It just allows them to be a lot more present. They can actually watch their kids play football without being on their iPhone. Mm -hmm. For parents, that could be transformative, you know, because they know they're feeling totally guilty about how much more quality time they ought to be spending with their kids instead of seeing them grow up out from under them, or, you know, while they were on their phones. Yeah. So uh, the the times have changed as well when you look at that uh, from from that perspective where uh, you mentioned that I think in the book as well where you, you we were like uh, we had the whole age where everyone was working in like factories and stuff like that and now you have a an age where everybody's more creative in a sense and putting more effort into that uh, and then also you see that the the, the kind of uh, home and work balance is going is going out of out of hand in some cases where uh, people are taking their work home uh, more than they were doing in that age where they were just factory workers if you can call it like that but sure uh, and i think that that's that's one of the things that uh, that's that's changed a lot where i i've had it myself where where you you when you're like okay I'm going home, but I'm still uh, there. There's still some things that uh, I don't feel good about during uh, that happened during this day, right? Where you were like, okay, I didn't finish that, or I didn't do that, and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, well, you know, the great Peter Drucker, you know, you know identified the the concept of knowledge work, which basically yeah. means you have to think to figure out what to do. Exactly. That, you know, junk mail doesn't tell you it's junk mail. You know, yeah, you, you actually have to open the email and go, yeah. oh, God, that's junk mail. <laughs> or sometimes you can see it from the subject line. But the, the in your physical mailbox, believe me, living in the Netherlands, you still get mail. I believe me, for I sure. do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, so you still have to think. Thinking is hard. Thinking yeah. requires, it requires the forebrain. It requires, you know, cognitive effort. Yeah. And you only have a certain amount of time of that you can do that. And so... Yeah. So the knowledge work and, you know, thinking goes home with you. Yeah. You know, your mind goes home with you, yeah. you know, and, and all that stuff goes home with you. That's why if you're keeping stuff in your, in your head, your head is just a really, really crappy office. And it has no sense of past or future in there. So cat food and business plan take up about the same amount of room. <laughs> Either one of them exactly. will wake up at, th at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. You, you had the, you had the analogy with the RAM for a computer, and I think that's a great analogy for that as well. Sure. Yeah, where yeah, of course you you'll you'll fill it up eventually, but then something needs to go out, otherwise you can't can't work or function anymore. Sure. Well, you know, by the way, I mean, I I could list you know dozens and dozens of people who teach and and who whose expertise is Kanban and and Agile and Scrum and mm -hmm. Lean and you know all that good stuff. And all those folks, are, you know, all the people I know are huge GTD champions. You know, a good friend of mine who runs the Lean Institute out in California, he, he calls GTD as Lean for the Brain. Mm. See, all of those systems deal with your external workflow. What you were talking about in terms of Scrum and Sprint and so forth, it has to do with the workflow of building the product. Exactly. You know, and making sure you have the right contents, as you said, brainstorm, make sure you're identifying all the, 
all the outcomes that you're trying to produce, you know, for sure. But that's all external workflow. What it doesn't do is deal with when everybody walks out of that sprint session, what are they going to do about what just happened? Yeah. How do they manage that? And what are their agreements about that? Yeah. So they're, they're, they're extremely good together. As a matter of fact, the guy who designed Sprint at Google was, was a big GTDer. Hmm. You know, so th- there's, a, there's a whole lot of similarity to what all of that's about. But it really, it, it doesn't happen by itself. You know, yeah. Scrum doesn't happen by itself. That's why these models showed up was because those things don't happen automatically. You actually have to put some con- cognitive and conscious focus on restructuring how you think about something and when. Yeah, you need to put some effort into it to get it working in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Once it once you've got it, it, it is like a cognitive muscle. Mm. You know, deciding a next action on something when it shows up instead of when it blows up is actually training a cognitive muscle. Most yeah. people avoid that that question like the plague. They really do. Believe <laughs> yeah, me, I've spent do. thousands. I spent thousands of hours yeah. going, you know, desk side with some of the best and brightest, and <clears throat> a whole lot of those hours were spent having them grapple with what's the next action with stuff they got out of their head. Yeah, and that's that's weird to me because um, it, usually I already like think in that in that manner. But uh, the, uh, what what you would expect from someone that uh, has that kind of function, or at least uh, g- uh, came to that point in their lives where uh, they have that 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 interesting position or whatever, you you would expect them to uh, to know and identify. Okay, this is just the next thing that I need to do. Uh, it's it's weird to me that it doesn't come uh, come naturally to some people, um, but I I can understand it on the other hand why you would get that if you're overwhelmed with all the things that you you didn't write down or didn't capture in that sense. Or if you happen to be the kind of person, and a lot of very successful people are very successful because they're very good at outcome thinking. They're exactly. Very good at visioning. They're very good at uh, at direction and strategy. And oftentimes their weak suit is the implementation and execution on that. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, most startups, you know, at least the VCs that I've known over all the years would tell me, you know, a startup, uh, you probably deal with people in the startup world, certainly, sure. certainly a, a, you know, burgeoning uh, here in the Netherlands. Uh, that there are three things a VC really looks for. You know, first of all, do you have <clears throat> intellectual property, you know, protection? You know, is it safe enough what you're doing? They're, they're, they need to make sure that that's, that's there. They need to make sure you have enough capital, enough money, you know, mm-hmm. to make it work. And then they need to make sure you can execute. And he yeah. said 90% of the failures of startups is on the execution piece. They've got the IP protected. They've got the capital, but they just don't make it happen. You yeah, know? the founders are, are, are a key in that, in that sense, yeah. Indeed, that yeah. Sense. Uh, so uh, what what I uh, was also wondering about because uh, there's one annoyance for productivity that I o- always have and that's meetings <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, especially unproductive meetings in that sense where uh, there is no clear goal or and it happens a lot it, it happens more than I think the the whole productive meetings part. Um, it, it, what's your what's your kind of view on that? Where, uh, you, for example, I when I go into a meeting, uh, usually what I try to do is actually get something actionable from that meeting. Where we we're saying, okay, these are the next things that we need to do, and not okay. Everybody said their kind of experience, and that's it. Uh, but that's harder to do in most cases when it's a bigger group, for example, or whatever. Well, so, the first thing first thing to do is to say. You know, first of all, who owns the meeting? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they, if that's unclear, better find out, you know, whose meeting is it? And what is the desired, what would wild success be by what time? Mm. Not just what's wild success, by what time wild success? Yeah. Believe me, you know, a lot of people said, well, we want to have da 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 and they got a 30-minute meeting, but they need three hours to get there. <laughs> yeah. You know, good luck. That's going to create frustration. If you say, okay, by two o'clock, we want to make sure X, Y, and Z are true. Yeah. And if they're not true, we want to make sure we've got real clear next steps to make sure we get them true. Yeah. That, and why are that's, you having the meeting? <laughs> that, that's oh, yeah. Well, duh. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, believe me, I mean, it's, it is the universal complaint of most executives I've ever dealt with is meetings and email. Yeah. You know, and, and crappy meetings create crappy emails. What did we just decide in a meeting? We need to meet again to decide again. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, then you, and a crappy email then creates crappy meetings and because they're, people are not outcome and action focused. Yeah, exactly. So and yeah. outcome and action is the zeros and ones of productivity. What are we trying to produce and how do we allocate or how do we reallocate our resources to make that thing happen? 
Yeah. And you can take that down to your kids in the vacation. You can take that to, to designing your software. You can decide, you can take that to meetings for sure. Yeah. So and just build it. That's a cognitive muscle to, to train. What yeah. are we trying to do? What's the next step? You know, yeah, that, that, would, that would help tremendously with the, those kind of meetings. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of meetings go wasted because it, it, it doesn't have that kind of follow-up on that. Sure. Um, and well, you know that it's, that's a behavior to train. You know, yeah. you get invited to a meeting and say, "Hey, you know, that could be pretty interesting. Could you tell me exactly what we're trying to accomplish?" And because I want to make sure, you know, that I don't waste your time by yeah. like, being there if I don't need to be there. Yeah, you know, things, it, things like that. that also happens. Yeah, that also happens where you, where you're pulled into a meeting and you're like, "Why am I in this meeting at all? I don't I don't need to be here." Right. Uh, uh, because that, that that ties in a little bit with uh, my next uh, next point where I was what I wanted to ask you about as well is uh, th there's been a lot of controversy about like open offices right where everybody's like in an open office and mm -hmm. it, it's a killer for productivity and uh, also for getting things done uh, what's your what's your kind of opinion on that have you seen uh, have you also seen it work how how do you view that well, first of all, if you have a GTD culture that people really get this, open offices can work. Hmm. The problem is that people don't do this. When something pops into their head, they want to go interrupt somebody to get it done as opposed to put it into the system. Right? Hmm. My wife and I send each other emails when we're just sitting across the room from each other. <laughs> right? yeah. People go, God, that's so cold. I go, what's cold is to go interrupt her. She's involved in something. Exactly, and then I'm forcing her to come with some decision about something with me standing there, as opposed to let her think about it in her own timing. Oh my God, yeah, you know how rude, you know, would that be? And you know, the i the ideal, you know, steel case in the U.S. is a big, you know, they're big champions of our of our stuff, and you know, I've been to their main offices, and you know, the the ideal is a hybrid, you know, where you've got open office space, you've got private office space, you've got you know, hangout cafeteria, chat space, you've got, you know, you've got conference space. So you have all those different kinds of things. What's the best environment for you to do what kind of work in? Mm. And obviously, you know, a lot of the creative, you know, uh, you know, graphics, artists, you know, whatever, like to be around other people doing that and be able to see their work and be able to wander around and have that kind of open feeling. Understood. You know, and there are times that those people even need to go to a conference room, shut the door, and you know, spend, do a weekly review you know, of their life. Yeah, exactly. You know, so so it, it really kind of depends on what you're doing. But yet, to to assume that open office is automatically going to increase productivity, big mistake. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's usually the the thing that people are like, okay, uh, it will in, in improve like communication between teams, which. Uh, it may or may not be the case, but uh, people are automatically like, okay, but that's going to be really loud. <laughs> I want to focus on some, th some things that I want to do. Sure. Um, and, and sometimes you need a small group of three people in an intimate space to have yeah. it. Sometimes you need a big conference room because you got a lot of people that are listening in that ought to listen in yeah. to what's going on. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it all comes back to what's the purpose of the meeting. Yeah. What's the purpose of what you're doing? And in the given the purpose, what's the best context? What's the best venue? What's the best, you know, situation and yeah. environment to be able to then produce that? Yeah, uh, it it feeds into it feeds into stuff that I'm uh, I'm kind of uh, I always always have like the 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 procrastination kind of problem where uh, I'm like, okay, I really need to do these kind of things, but. Uh, uh, someone is talking about something that uh, also interests me and then like okay i'm i'm gonna do that later and then at the end of the day you're like okay sure. why <laughs> why, uh, why didn't believe I me very easy to get distracted yeah. and i just you know i was reading some somewhere else not too long ago that they there they've been some studies have shown that you think that getting people together to brainstorm produces better results faster hmm. uh, and sometimes it really does but sometimes they've discovered it's better for people individually to go work on the, that problem and then come back together and share their results. That produces a much better result faster. Yeah. So interestingly, but the, the problem is when people go away by themselves, they don't have the discipline to sit down and think through the project. And that's why coming together in meetings sometimes works better than trying to have people do it individually because the meeting forces people to think that then they're not distracted by other stuff. Exactly. So again, it's tricky. 
Yeah, it's really tricky. It's really tricky, and and then on top of that, you have like the things uh, that the 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 pings w- within your phone, right? Where uh, someone is asking for your attention somewhere else, where you're like, oh, I, I, I didn't uh, I didn't even want to deal with this right now, and I'm de- I have to deal with it right now sure. because it, it it's uh, urgent or whatever. Uh, and and that's something that I've seen a lot of people do wrong as well, where. Uh, they are like, okay, I'm getting this email from a client right now and they are screaming that something is not working uh, and they don't take that step back and think about, okay, is this really urgent, right? Is this something that really needs my time right now? Uh, well, the problem, Amir, I mean, I'll, I'll be bold enough to tell you, the problem is that people are not managing themselves very well. Exactly. So people are living in emergency scan mode constantly because they don't trust that if they didn't handle it right then, that, it, that it's not going to get done. Exactly. So, you know, once you have a trusted system, you know, somebody walks in and say, David, could you handle and you write it down a note and throw it in your in-basket and go back to what you're doing. Or say, could you just write me a note about that? Please send me an email about that. That's a lot easier than we try to keep that in my head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you have a, your own trusted, you know, capture, clarify and organize and review process, then you don't have to let yourself be so distracted. But it's, I understand why people do that because they don't trust themselves. Yeah. And the, the interesting part here is that sometimes I, I get asked to, to do something, uh, which is mo- probably not a lot of work, right? It's maybe 10, 15 minutes worth of work. And I still ask them to create a, a service ticket in this case, uh, where right. I just say, okay, just send, send an email uh, with what you need to have done. Uh, just so I don't forget about that, I need to actually do that, right? Where yeah. I I need to I need to pick that up, um, and that that uh, that's tricky for me as well because you're like uh, someone is like okay, but really it's like five minutes worth of work, right? Uh, but then again, I have to explain to them like okay, but I'm really doing something else now that I really need to finish today, uh, and okay. this is not something that needs to be done today. That's that's one of the first questions I always ask: Is it is it urgent enough that I need to do it right now? Uh, that's the, the, the first question, actually. Or is it something that needs to be done today at all? Yeah. Um, well, as I say, there are, no, there are no interruptions. There are only mismanaged inputs. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of managing your inputs. Yeah. Most people don't. I've learned. <laughs> I've learned. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 well, it, it's been also, a process. Also, you know, it's part of your, you have to ask yourself, is it your job to be doing that? Yeah, also, you for know, sure. Why are they giving it to you? Is there, Are you the best person and the only person that can do that? Sometimes you are. Yeah. And, yeah. If, and if that's true and you have given them tacitly permission to yank your chain about it, you know, if it is an emergency and if it can be handled in two minutes, that's yeah. the best thing to do. Yeah. I do that frequently as well where I just say, okay, listen up. Uh, I, I've, I've looked at what you want to do uh, and then I'm like, okay, but this can be done by... Uh, by him or her as well. I, mm-hmm. I, I really don't need to do this. There is, uh, there is certain things that I'm pre- pretty much sure I'm the only one that can do within the company at the moment. Right. Uh, but th- that's not something that uh, that's something I need to be doing, of course. But the the things that are really easy that you can do within the application, for example, yourself. Why should I be involved at all? Right. Right. And that's the thing. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, one one other thing is uh, we, f- for example, have remote people. So we have people that uh, aren't here in our office uh, 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 with us. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, do you uh, do you feel like uh, this this change? Because you mentioned globalization in the book as well. Uh, do do you feel like uh, that's actually helping people to focus more on getting things done? I don't know. It depends on what's the purpose of the company. What's the you know? It goes back to well, why? Yeah, exactly. You know, why are you doing that? And what's the nature of that? I mean, I think it's fabulous. You know, if you know what you're doing, it's a great time to be alive. Hmm. One of my partners is in is in Medellin, Colombia. You know, another one's in Denver. You know, and then I have my wife, and somebody else is in Monterey, California. Hmm. So, you know, the, we're the five of us are pretty much the key the key people doing our work right now in terms of my my company. Yeah. Uh, and, and that it's fabulous. The, the, the you know the toughest things just the time zone stuff, but that's okay. Make it work. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, you you just uh, get a time that <laughs> that works for all of you if you can. <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that that makes sense. I mean, uh, the 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 thing is that 
it, it ties into that open office thing as well, where uh, people say I'm so easily distracted and working from home helps me to focus. I, I do it sometimes as well, where I'm like, okay, I really need to to work on this presentation or I need to uh, to really start preparing for something that uh, that's pretty huge for myself. Sure. Uh, well, you, you need to make sure you hire for people who can work remotely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's they, also if, they, if they can't manage themselves, good luck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's that's also the, the reason why a lot of companies are like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to take uh, remote people because I can't control them <laughs> based on, yeah. on, on the distance or whatever. Uh, but then you're hiring the wrong people, I think, if you need to think like that at all. Uh, but uh, what, uh, what I wanted to ask, I have, I have two more questions uh, before we wrap up. Uh, so what do you, because uh, it, it's been almost 20 years since the, since the first book. Um, wh- what do you feel uh, has changed more than just the, the connectivity part and stuff like that, where we are more and more connected with, uh, with the world and stuff like that? But uh, wh- what do you feel is going to change in the, in the coming few years? Is it going to be uh, even harder to, to kind of uh, get, get things done in, in that way? Uh, do you feel that's going to change even more than it has over the last... I don't know, 20 years uh, since you well, wrote the book. Yeah, the, what's going to change? I'm sorry, it goes back to connectivity. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it's like there, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, you know, everything I teach will be true 200 years from now. When we yeah, fly to exactly. Jupiter, you're still going to need an in basket. You're still going to need to capture stuff that has your attention. You can't finish in the moment. You're still going to decide next actions on it. You're still going to have to look at the whole gestalt of all the commitments and things you're trying to accomplish so that you trust what you do. That's universal. That's old as dirt. Right? So there's nothing that's going to change about the methodology itself. What changes, as I mentioned, is how frequently things are new, how frequently you get surprised, how frequently you're going to have to redo and rethink and recalibrate what you do. Yeah. So that's going to keep going. That has increased exponentially probably in the last 10 or 15 years. And that's not going to stop, yeah. I don't think. You know, I think that's going to keep going. And I think you know, it, it, the good news is, is it forces people to then you know, probably earlier on than they ever did have to really decide what are they really doing? Where are they really going? As I say, if you know what you're doing, it's a great time to be alive. My God, I mean, the fact that you and I could chat like this, yeah. we, could, we could have this chat, you know, you could be in Alaska, I could be in South Africa, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? and, and so having a world that's connected in that way Man, you know how cool is that? You know, yeah, that, that's that's amazing because, uh, I, as you said, uh, I, I have some guests that are uh, all across the globe, right? Where they're in Australia or they're in uh, America or whatever, um, and I, and you can still talk to them like this and uh, have a have a conversation, record it, and put it on the internet for other people to listen sure. to as well. Well, it, it, what all that's increasing is the stress of opportunity. Yeah. You know, in a way, if you have a big crisis or a big trauma, in a way, it kind of simplifies your life. And in a way, it kind of makes you more relaxed because it, it takes away all your options. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, don't have to, you, you don't have to think. You don't have to decide. You just have to survive. Yeah. You know, it yeah. becomes quite obvious. You know, but it, it's kind of like when, you don't, when you're not in a crisis, you're in a bigger one. If you're not in a crisis, all the demons at the gate come rushing through. Oh, I could do this. I could do this. Oh, my God. I just saw that. Oh, my God. Oh, we could. Oh, how cool would that be? Oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and then you overwhelm yourself. Yeah. Most of the clients that I work with you know, are some of the most productive people in the world. Strange, the paradox that the people most attracted to GTD, probably you'd be one of those too, yep. are the people who need it the least. Right. You're yeah, already, you're already it, organized. You're already focused. You already, and yeah. you went, oh my God. But see, you just raised the bar for yourself yeah. and your own creativity and your own productivity, you know, and your own, you know, uh, I, drive it, essentially and aspirations actually just threw, just threw you kind of out of your own comfort zone and you just needed to pull up the rear guard and use GTD to do that. Yeah, and the 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 thing is that uh, that's that's from from a personal standpoint, it's it's always the the case. Like, uh, if I read a book and I get one percent better by just reading that book, that that's 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 accomplishment for me, <laughs> if I can yeah. if I can call it like that. Yeah. Uh, it 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 helps. Uh, it it just helps with the kind of small things that you can tweak to to get better at things. Uh, it, it's the same way with uh, public speaking, for example, which. Uh, was something that uh, I, um, I I was I was not really good at to be honest. Uh, maybe I was really bad at it actually. Uh, and through just looking at stuff, uh, reading about it, 
uh, finding kind of a mode that works for me to to do actual pre- presentations that that all helped right it's yeah. just it's just all those small things that, uh, that get you that one percent better uh, yeah. it, it it's it's just those small increments but that's also something that a lot of i think a lot of people think like okay uh but this is just going to help <laughs> with this kind of small part within my life yeah wh- wh- why not right <laughs> it, sure it, that, that well, already I, helps i have a saying small things done consistently in strategic places create major impact exactly and it and it is like that and it's really like that um so i have one more question uh mm-hmm. and that's the question i always ask at the end uh so what are you when you look back what are you kind of most proud of since you started this journey with uh, with gtd Ooh. it's a hard one <laughs> it's the hardest it's one a hard one yeah <laughs> I, it, there are two things i guess and they, they're kind of tied together and one is discovering something that without fail improved people's lives if they implemented not just even the whole thing any part of it as I say, this is not like running with scissors. You know, it's <laughs> anything you do about anything we've talked about here that anybody listening to this applies or implements is going to help give them more clarity, more focus. You know, lift them up to some level, some level of gain in some way, shape, or form. And to find something that does that universally, and that people aren't doing that, and that I could find something that I was able to share that did nothing but improve people's lives, anybody all over the world. So writing the book and being able to put this methodology into some sort of scalable format and some sort of thing, as opposed to just me talking about it or sharing it or showing it with somebody, that was a big, big, big milestone for me, was to be able to then do it well enough that people could just truly pick up the book and change their lives. And I've had, you know, legions of testimonials about that. And I suppose the second thing was once I did that and it was translated into 30 languages, the world kept knocking on our door called the, hey, can we do this? Can, how can we keep distributing this? How can I, can I be a GTD coach or trainer or can I have this as my business? And so in the last 10 years, we now got, we're now represented in 70 countries you know, with certified trainers that, that we've certified, you know, master trainers that are training even in their own languages that we really trust you know, to, to spread this methodology. So, it's a world movement, essentially. And so I guess the two things that are, you know, finding out, first of all, uncovering the methodology, finding out ways to scale it, both for, the, for an individual they could get it without me having to be there, and then also to be able to scale this to a much broader population of people around the world. Um, I guess those are the kind of the same things, but I'd kind of wrap all that together and say that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, that's the, the, the big impact that you made. Uh, and that's I think that's something to really be proud of. Um, and uh, yeah, I, w- I would like to thank you a lot for uh, the opportunity to to speak to you. Uh, it's been uh, very interesting to to hear uh, kind of the the backstory behind it and also uh, what uh, what what you what you created in these uh, in these two decades and even uh, the time before that. Um, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. You're quite welcome. This was fun. A nice yeah. interview. Yeah. No problem. Um, yeah. How can uh, people find you on the internet? Gettingthingsdone.com. Pretty easy. That's the best way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot again, David. And for the listeners, uh, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com and also on uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn. It's all Bits vs. Bytes. And I have a newsletter where you can find uh, five things every two weeks uh, that um, revolve around business technology and uh, leadership. And you can find that on bitsvsbytes.com newsletter. And uh, I would like to thank you for listening. And until next time.